So if you will just focus on what a customer's needs are, obvious needs, and show them how you have something that can help meet that need, it goes back to one of the things that Zig Ziglar said, you can get everything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. Welcome to the Miles and the Markers podcast. It's May 2nd, 2022. Warm day outside in Phoenix, Arizona. Continuing with my podcast from the book of the same name, The Miles and Markers, available on Amazon by typing my name in the text box there or the search box, I should say, <laughs> at the top of the Amazon website. If you type in the miles and the markers, you're going to find all kinds of other stuff. So Gene Girdley, G-E-N-E space G-I-R-D-L-E-Y, 52 weeks of experiences to improve your life and enhance your journey. Thank you so much for joining me again today. We're in chapter and mile 19, Work the Plan. And if you remember last week, I talked about how I had had an opportunity to go to a training in Pomona, California for an electric vehicle called the GMEV1 and had an opportunity to actually show my training ability. And now I've come back to the dealership and um, it's been two years since I actually started selling cars. So, work the plan, mile 19 of the Miles and the Markers. Two years after my automotive sales career began, an offer to become finance manager came, and there was no hesitation to accept. This offer was both a natural next step toward my goal of becoming a Saturn trainer, and one which made sense to the dealership. My per unit average for finance and total gross profit was typically the highest among the top three of the four stores in the group every month. It also gave me the added benefit of being home every other weekend. Now, in the past, oh, three decades, a lot has changed in automotive. And depending on what dealership you work for, Finance people may or may not have the opportunity to have every other weekend off. Uh, our management teams worked in teams, so there was a particular sales manager and a finance manager who worked together, and then they would rotate every other weekend. We had a kind of a cool scheduling rotation where if you were a manager and it was your weekend to work, you would come in on Friday at about noon and work until the close then you would work what's called bell to bell so you would work all day and all night Saturday and all day and all night Sunday and then you would work Monday morning and the other management team and finance manager would come in at about one o'clock and then you'd leave about two and then you'd be off Monday afternoon, Tuesday all day, and then you would come back on Wednesday uh, in the afternoon. Then you would work the, end, the Wednesday evening, all day Thursday, 
and then the, the next Friday uh, morning shift. So it, was, it rotated like that. And it was a really cool opportunity for us in management to be able to spend time with our families. So my kids were really young at the time and they were just starting to get into sports and it just made sense. Now, keep this in mind that top, top salespeople will and should make more money than the managers. I mean, if it's set up right for them to have success, they really should be the top paid people in the dealership or really in any organization for that matter. If you sell the most, you should be paid higher than the manager. Uh, and so in this situation, I was taking a pay cut in order to be home every other weekend, which for me, especially with regard to what my goals were, was a much better situation. So that's part one of that first paragraph. Now, the other part that I mentioned in here was my per unit average for finance. And I thought that I'd talk just a little bit about uh, why I feel some car people and even dealerships succeed when it comes to aftermarket uh, or finance income and others don't. And sometimes it's because of the person in the chair in finance and whether or not they actually are skilled at sales or not. But other reasons is because they don't even market the resources that they have for, for what I call the customer experience. So when our dealerships would start a month, we would typically have one car in the showroom that had every single aftermarket accessory, including the paint protection, fabric protection on that car. The chrome wheels, the exhaust tips, the mud flaps, the everything you could think of on that one car. And it was there on that one car so that we could show it to customers who had an interest. But here's the other part that is one of the things that I learned with regard to what customers' needs are and focusing on how they live their lifestyle and how they use their car was paying attention to the car that they are driving now. What is it that they were driving right now? And what features do they have on it? Did they have window tint on it? Did they have mud guards on it? Did they have um, rubber mats inside? You know, did, they, did the kids eat in the car? Did they eat in the car? Um, all of these things were things that would cause me to say, hey, I noticed that, and then offer the product. So it wasn't a hard sell. It was just, I noticed that. Here it is. Was that something you'd like to add? Not a big deal, but it's just paying attention and being mindful. Um, another thing that we would do is we would use a white car all the time because we were in California, and the fallout from just normal weather in California would create on white cars these little um, metal like flakes that would rust on a white car. Not only would it be really rough on the surface of the paint because it would sit there, um, but it also would turn gold and, and it showed up really well on white cars. So we would use the white cars to present our paint protection and we would just do half the car and then you'd run the back of your hand off one half of the car and it would hit that paint protected side on the other half and it would just slide like glass and it was really cool. Um, but 
the other thing is just looking when they would trade in their car, if they had something that looked like a little round spider web on there, if you have a car and it has this little round spider web looking thing, it's cracks in the clear coat and that's caused by bird droppings that sit there and the acid and it just eats away at that clear coat and it causes this spot on the car. And so as we're walking around the car and we're deducting because we have to repaint the hood or whatever, in order to sell that car in the used car lot, we simply point that out that, hey, it's going to cost us this much to respray the hood. Well, look, the cost of respraying that hood that they just lost money on was the same cost as the paint protection. So why not have a car look good all the time and be protected and guaranteed so that you don't have to have bird droppings on it? Okay, so all I'm saying is I'm just kind of explaining the process that I used was it was just logical education and information. It wasn't a hard sell. And yet I still had the opportunity to be a leader in finance. And so it was natural to then to put me in that seat. So if you will just focus on what a customer's needs are, obvious needs, obvious wants, and show them how you have something that can help meet that need. It goes back to one of the things that Zig Ziglar said, you can get everything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. So the first paragraph kind of has a lot to it because I don't tell all these stories, but that's why you're listening to the podcast, okay? Back to the book. One of many things I learned in finance was that lenders make stupid rules sometimes. <laughs> I know all my finance friends are going to laugh at this, and even some people who are lenders will laugh at this too because they know what I'm talking about. In most cases, they set things up to mitigate risks to the detriment of doing any business. In other words, they'll set up all these rules so that, you know, especially if the, their bank doesn't have a bunch of money, to lend and they're trying to be really, you know, careful about making mistakes or, or making the wrong decisions. So they'll make it really strict. But in other cases, especially when the, when buying is really loose, they create rules to simplify the process for dealers and customers only to shoot themselves in the foot. Now, the most famous instance, in my opinion, of all time, was the 000 financing offered by Mitsubishi Motor Credit in the early 2000s. Now, first of all, there's been a lot of 000 programs, but none like this one. Okay, in fact, it ended up costing them $672 million in losses, from which, in my opinion, they still have yet to recover from. I mean, that's a lot of money. I will say this to Mitsubishi's credit. In fact, I used to say this all the time, that... They took the $672 million in losses and they stayed here in the United States and the mothership paid off the loss. Now they lost Mitsubishi Motor Credit. Okay, they don't, they're gone. But they didn't take a bailout from the federal government like a couple of other manufacturers did. And now, you know, we as citizens <laughs> have had to pay for those in taxes, pay for those other companies to continue surviving. Um, but Mitsubishi didn't do that. They literally just ate it. Okay, so that's to their credit. I mean, it was a positive thing. But l let me just get a little more story here. There was more to this. They also had a scoring system in the dealerships called Daybreak. So while Mitsubishi was losing $672 million, the dealerships were raking in the dough. 
because they could take a $40,000 Mitsubishi Montero that they don't sell here anymore, create a co-buyer relationship between them on this scoring system, kind of blindfold the system, so to speak, which it was Mitsubishi's fault for creating how easy the system was. And then that person whose credit score was 610 as the main driver could own a $40,000 car and make no payments on it, no interest for a whole year, zero. Now, when I, the very first day that I came in and heard about this program that I went to work for Mitsubishi, I went, really? Do you guys know what you're going to do to yourselves? <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't even that experienced in the car business at the time. But even I knew that they were creating a negative equity situation for the people who bought the cars. So what would happen is a year after they bought this $40,000 car, they would get their first bill. And that first bill was based on the interest rate being charged for their actual credit score. So let's say it was a 12%, they had a $750 monthly payment now on a car that had depreciated not only after they drove it out of the lot, but it's actually a year older now and they still had the entire amount. So what ended up happening is these people just ended up turning in their cars. They drove them for a whole year and then gave them back. And that's where the loss came in. So it was great for creating growth, quote unquote, because sales skyrocketed during that time for Mitsubishi. Uh, but it was not real growth. It was all fake. So um, they had to pay for it. But in another situation, Chase Auto Finance offered a simple one-page checklist that allowed a finance manager to confirm all the stipulations were met, pack up the contract with the list that was signed and checked off, and then send it in. That's it. They didn't even have to call the bank. Just check it off and send it in. So one Monday morning, I came into my office. Now, at this point in time, I was the finance manager, uh, and then I had someone who worked for me. Um, but I came in uh, after the weekend off and I noticed a decline deal from Chase. And my partner had run only the husband's credit because, and this was common thinking, that since the wife only worked part-time and she was making very little money, I think she was making something like, I don't know, $400 a month or less than that actually. Uh, it was less than what the car payment was. The loan was declined because the debt-to-income ratio was slightly out of whack on the husband's income alone. But the applicant had never been late on anything, and he was a skilled welder with a stable work history. So a lot of times, look, we sitting in the dealership, um, we go, we scratch our heads. It's like, okay, yeah, the, the actual rule that they would go by, which was a specific debt-to-income ratio score, uh, he didn't fall into it. But sometimes the flip side is true where somebody may not qualify according to, to debt to income ratio, but if they fill out the checklist, they qualify. So since I knew how things work, and let me just say this too. One of the best things about working in a dealership is you learn so much about how things work. You learn about all of these different things. It really, by the time you become a sales manager, you have a master's degree equivalent in my opinion in terms of business and things like that you just really see a lot of stuff that goes on some of it good some of it bad some of it illegal and i'm not saying that we did anything illegal because we didn't we did everything by the book in fact it was a one of the greatest experiences of my life because it was always 
transparent, full disclosure, the whole thing. But we worked within the rules. So in this case, knowing how things work, back to the book now, I ran the credit on the wife and found that, guess what? She met all the requirements of the Chase automatic approval form without using the husband, okay? Because there wasn't a debt-to-income ratio stipulation on it. No income requirement, in fact. It was all about the credit score. And, and the credit score was on any, any credit bureau, 700 or above. And on one credit bureau, she was 701. And that's all it took. So I called the customer, had the wife come in, sign the documents, packaged it up, sent it to Chase. And boy, were they unhappy with me. <laughs> they wanted to send it back, but guess what? I followed the rules, so they were stuck with it. So these are the types of experiences that I needed to understand and learn so that I could later engage with finance managers as a trainer, especially someone who was going to be in the dealerships. It was all part of the plan. So here's the thing. When you have a plan and you work it, you're better able to take alternate or new routes that appear before you because you actually are on the road toward your destination. If you have only a vision, but you don't have the journey mapped out, you're less likely to get started and you're not expected to arrive at the destination you're dreaming of visiting. Then, along this journey here, along this mile 19, another opportunity opened up for me, which frankly wasn't expected. The dealership offered me a job as a part-time corporate trainer. And I will cover that in mile 20. But the mile marker then is work each step of the plan as you have laid it out. Set a goal, but focus on the process. The journey is where the magic happens. Um, I'll kind of wrap with this. When, when I talk about mission, philosophy, and values, some people don't even use those terms anymore, but we used to use them years ago, and I've used them recently in helping to develop one for another company. Um, but the mission is like the top of the mountain. That's where you're headed. And it can change once you arrive. You can set a new mission, but it's like the top of the mountain. The philosophy is the road that you drive on that takes you to the top of the mountain. And then values are like a guardrail on that mountain road that keep you from falling off the cliff. If for some reason things get a little dicey and you know there's ice on the road, you lose control of the car, that guardrail keeps you on the road. So the key to success though is not to stare at the top of the mountain. Yeah, you say that's where I'm headed. You know, you make your plans. I'm headed to there. But you focus on the road as you're driving. Sometimes the car needs gas. You pull off, you get gas. Sometimes it needs an oil change. Sometimes there's a flat tire. You don't stop. You just fix whatever the problem was. Sometimes there's an accident. Okay, you take a detour, go to the body shop, get it fixed. Slows you down. You may be delayed, but you keep focusing on the road, which is the process. Okay, the day-to-day -day process. You put your energy and your focus in that. That's why planning uh, and mapping things out becomes so important. You know where you're going. But you don't just stare at the top of the mountain because then you'll hit another car, right? <laughs> so it's been fun sitting out here in the beautiful weather in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's the beginning of May. I hope you have a great May. Um, 
in two days coming up may the 4th right may the 4th be with you the old star wars thing which has a very important place in my heart because my wife and i met going together with a group to see the empire strikes back and that's how we initially met and um, it's a great story but anyway thank you so much for listening i appreciate you have a great great month of may have a great week and we'll see you next time god bless <music>